So good morning, I'm Colin. Um, I'm part of the leadership in or at Seaburg. Uh, I get to serve with Mark, Don, and a whole lot of lovely faces, um, which is great. This morning I get to launch the final part of our second Corinthian series, and uh, I've, we're looking at influencing our spheres with, the, with kingdom values. Influencing our spheres with kingdom values. Sorry. We live in a time when meekness is seen as weakness, where showmanship matters more than substance, self-promotion is exalted over humility, where success is celebrated more than maturity. Yet it is into this very world that Christ sends us out to be His influences, to impact the earth with the kingdom agenda and culture, and not to impose the culture of the world on the truth of the gospel. Influences either impact or they impose. As kingdom people, we come to impact our areas of influence. Today we are looking, in to, uh, looking at the kingdom values for building influences in the church. A question, are you desirous to be an influencer for the kingdom of God? Now you need to answer that. Then I want you to stay tuned for what I'm about to share. So I've got four A's. It's part of my talk this morning. There is a B, but it's selective. And there's a C and a T that is for the many. So the four A's are my points I'm sharing this morning. The B is the brownie for the visitors. And then there's C, which is the coffee, and the T, which is for you know what. So let's just look at the text this morning. It's eight verses from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 8. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's weapons, not worldly weapons, firstly to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Secondly, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And thirdly, we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Jesus Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much, says Paul, about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority today, says Paul, as he speaks even to us in the word that we have read today. The passage, if I were to confine it to its immediate context, would represent Paul as dealing with those super apostles. And we remember coming through the text where they are now challenging his authority. They have usurped authority in the church at Corinth, who have denied Paul's apostleship, and have set themselves up as superior to him, while they themselves preached error. 
and led the people astray. They were literally eroding the confidence of the church at Corinth. And Paul declared that when he came among them, he was armed with the power with which God hath clothed him. Using God's truth, he was going to smash the enemy fortresses to the ground, march the prisoners out, and bring them into subjection or obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So my main point is, we are influencers that live with the values of God's kingdom. So how do we impact our spheres as kingdom influencers? Well, Paul gives us an example here in the text before us. So I mentioned I've got four A's. We attack, we actually influence the world or our sphere by our attitude, our actions, having the right arsenal, and that's nothing to do with the football team, and with the authority to build up the church, then Paul is writing, but also as we preach today for the church today. Because we stand on the shoulders of the apostolic preaching and of the apostolic uh, preachers. So we influence our sphere by having a Christ-like mind or attitude. And I link it also to our actions, being motivated by love. Verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, so we are a new creation in verse 17. He says, everything has changed about us. We've encountered this amazing God who's changed us. Now he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation and encouragement. And he's getting us to do this. But Paul now says, I want to have this attitude. What is the attitude? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. So Paul wants his attitude to be that of Christ himself. The mindset of Christ he wants to have. If you're going into the holiday and you want a lovely book to read, I would recommend Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Wonderful book. It's an excellent work. It has turned my thoughts about Christ's love and compassion clearly around into much more personal relationship for me. Beautiful. You begin to see this picture of God's tenderness and kindness as he unpacks that. And Paul is drawing this from Philippians 2 verse 5 because he wrote it himself. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God but took the form of a servant. So the attitude of an influencer is that of a servant-hearted leader. That's how we're going to influence the world, having the right attitude. But the right attitude also leads to right action, where Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. There's an action to that. I want to know him experientially. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him even in my death. There's an experience that comes through there, an invitation to this. And as I said, as having this wonderful attitude that compels us to move into action by Christ's love. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, Christ's love, says Paul, compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves. I want you to repeat with me now after the, uh, with this. Let us say this out loud. As influencers in God's kingdom, we no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who demonstrated his love for us. Do you agree with that? I'll repeat it. We no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who demonstrated his love for us. 
That is why we are here. That is why we are gathered. If I recall, and I think about men who demonstrated this meekness and gentleness, I think of two ministers. One was uh, in the Presbyterian Church. His name was Dennis Clark. The other was in the Baptist Church, Peter Holness. They exuded this meekness and gentleness. And then I think somebody that dwelt with us here. Yeah, I, I'm not even there yet. Listen, I, I'm far from that. I, I still need to get there. It was Mike Tilbury. We still remember Mike and Glynis. Mike, everything about him was this gentle. And just of late, I just, all the focus was John Chalmer. John Chalmer had this about his nature. He had this gentleness about him. Everything just exuded at him. Nothing was too much for him. The way he just leaned into things with just that Christ-like representation. So we choose, Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 12, we put on this new outfit. We put on this whole uh, uh, clothing that is assigned to those who are God's holy people. So he writes, he says, choose to be the holy people that he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, says Paul. All of life is sacred. There's not the second and the second. So as we step as influencers, we don't, we're not dual people. We are the same. That's what integrity means. We step out with integrity. Integrity means one. We're one wherever we go. So the Corinthian church had drunk the Kool-Aid of their own culture and their triumphalistic, domineering, celebrity culture of leadership. So neither Paul nor Christ fit that model. Like Paul, let be leaders who reflect the very mind, nature, and activity of Christ to every sphere of influence we find ourselves in. So we influence our sphere by using, thirdly, the divine arsenal. To successfully fight the spiritual war requires weapons from the heavenly arsenal. Paul was coming to those who opposed him as being an authority in the church. And they said his letters were more, uh, had more oomph in it. And they said, we hope you're going to shape up to what your letters are, are, are about. So it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the fight in the dog, I would say. So they're saying, come here. That's an Afrikaans word that They were learning in, come on, show what you got, brother. But Paul says, my arsenal is not off, made of flesh. I'm coming in with something different. Thus, the only offensive weapon in the Christian soldier's armor is the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6 verse 17. We put on the helmet of salvation and we take up the sword of the Spirit and we come into the situation. Okay? Now, this helmet of salvation is putting on, who puts it on us? Anyone? Christ himself. So, in other words, we come with Christ himself into the situation. And guess who's motivating all of this? The Holy Spirit himself. So we can actually write on our helmet, Romans 8.11, the same spirit that has raised Jesus from the dead quickens us to move and do this within our mortal body. We're not supernatural beings. We're mortal beings. We don't have to become like my favorite character, a Marvel comic character, Captain America. You don't have to be that. You just have to be ordering you and God will use you. So spiritual warfare is the ideological conflict fought in the mind by assaulting the proud fortresses of ideas that sinners erect against the truth. Very serious stuff. So the sword of the Spirit is how Paul describes the Word of God and its role in spiritual warfare against the devil and his schemes. 
Paul is not referring to the Logos, but the Rhema. That is the written word of God spoken directly into the battle of conflict you're facing. And you're going to may have to do that this week. Maybe you've done it this past week. When there's opposition, how do we come into it? Oh, we want to roll up our sleeves and get the muscles out, but that's not what Christ is calling us to. Remember Jesus even saying to his disciples, you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. Yeah. Uh-huh, we don't like that, you know. We were in front of the queue. He says, right, get right to the back. Oh, Jesus, you, for real? I mean, I must I get to the back. So that's how we start learning about walking, having the attitude of the mind of Christ. That's the shaping of the character, which is beautiful. Now he says, now let's go to war now. Because now the, the weapons is not of flesh, but it's of the sword of the Spirit. I like the picture in Jude uh, verse 9. There's only one chapter where Michael the archangel says he doesn't even engage with the devil. He says, he just repeats to him, he says, it is written. We engage any opposition with a word of truth. That's where we take up the sword of the cross. I remember being called into C23, just watching the time too. And I had to go with a pastor. Now, C23 in Kritiski Hospital is the psychiatric ward. And I was called in there, and I'm like, hang on, this is some stuff happening inside there. I could hear noises and shouts, and I'm like, wow, woo, this is some serious things here. And the story was somebody, or the person inside, was possessed by demonic power. And I stood outside, I said, I- I'm not going inside. I said to the pastor guy, you go inside, I'll hang outside here. And literally, I could feel the Holy Spirit doing this to me. You get inside there, there's an old lady inside, you tell her to stay there, and the pastor, you stay, and the rest of them must all get out. And I walked in there. I looked at this person on the bed, making a flip, roaring like some whatever's coming out of there. And I looked at that person. Take note, the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, I'm leaning into that right now. And I stood there, the hair on my neck, I don't know there's much there, but it was standing up, literally was standing up. And I faced this person, and I remember Christ looking at Legion, and he said he had compassion on him, the very nature of Christ. And I looked at this person, I says, who hurt you? I had all this noise, and I just, as the Holy Spirit gave me the words to speak. This is the rhema. Who hurt you? And she says, everyone disappointed me. And I says, but Jesus will never, Agatha, Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's as near to you right now because he's God, Emmanuel. He's seated on high, but he's embracing your heart right now. A few days later, I saw this woman walking on the street. Everything was fine. When do we move out in the power and demonstration of what God wants us to do? I was reluctant in my flesh. The Holy Spirit pulled me by the collar and says, go and do this. That happened on another day too. I can tell you another story where I walked into a space. There was a person also, the roaring that went on in that room. And the person, I, I don't, not mentioning names, but I remember the folk approaching us at the church. They looked at Donnie and they thought, Donnie, you look all rugged. You're the man for the occasion. And Donnie turned and says, no, I think you need to go and talk to Colin. He's, he's been down that road before. Go and ask him. He can do that. And I mean, I remember walking to that room and I, I heard the sounds. of like, wow. But there was something of a conference that you walk into, which is power of the Spirit just gives you. And you actually reach into who the person is. That was beautiful. And you know, you just call out into remembrance. You love the Lord. You serve the Lord. Yes. And all the enemy is trying to defuse that. The enemy will always come because his schemes is to confuse us about what is true about us. 
And we move away from that. We don't stand in that. Sure, that was a lot. So we come in with this divine, with a rhema. I love just even how we're going to just unpack here quickly in uh, the first few verses of verse 4. Um, there are three things in the text that is worthy of our observation. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. Firstly, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. The idea of many that they know already is a point I want to raise here of imagination. We know everything. We know everything. Trained from their childhood in false doctrine. They hold firmly to it. They defy the gospel to reach them. They say they are Christians by birth, but forget Scripture where it says, what is born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the Spirit is spirit. If there is any special revelation, any part of it is authoritative. So let me just explain theologically. What we see around us is general revelation. You see the mountains, the trees, even creation. Everything is general. But special revelation is Christ himself. So all that points to the one that's special. That which is lesser points to that which is greater. And everything, even when we confront in the strongholds, says Paul, we bring that which is greater to bear on that which is lesser. I quote by uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Human thought is not the arbiter of truth, but the infallible word of God is the end of all strife. It is not ours to say what the truth must be, or what we think it should be, or what we would like it to be, but reverently to sit down with open ears and a willing heart to receive what God has spoken. As influencers, we echo what the words say. Did you hear me? We don't cook up our own thing. We don't formulate some quote here and make it all nice and round it off. We take the scripture. We read Psalm 119 verse 9. It says, Wherewith will a young person keep their way pure, but according to your word. We let the word sink into our hearts, be engraved upon the tablets of our hearts, and so that we don't depart from it. So that at times, I guess, we can bring it to, the Holy Spirit will bring it to remembrance. So as influencers, we echo what the words say. If an astronomer were to refuse to examine the stars, and teach an astronomy invented in his own brain, we would say, that's a whole lot of folly, or you're foolish, or you're an idiot. But no, we as Christ followers, we come because we study to show ourselves the proof. Second Timothy, and I don't have it up there, 2 verse 15. Study to show yourself the proof, a workman or woman that need not be ashamed. We read the scriptures, we study it, so that in these times we can call it to remembrance. The incorruptible word of God lives and endures forever and is incapable of modification. I mean, today there's everything we want to modify it. So it did suit us. I love Spurgeon when he says, to modify is to adulterate and nullify it and to render it no, of no effect so that it becomes another gospel and indeed no gospel at all. The thought of tampering with the revealed truth is vicious and ought not to be tolerated by any Christ follower for a second. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a thing to which we are moldering, or, sorry, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a thing which is to be molded according to the fashion of the period. It is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, that shape who we are as influencers. 
I like the story of the Canadian Mounties. It says that they don't study a counterfeit. They only study the original so they can spot a counterfeit at any time. When you and I sit down with the original, original revelation of who Christ is, we will then pick up anything that is not of Christ. Secondly, some of the imaginations, we make up our own mind concerning what the knowledge of God ought to be. And of course, they quarrel with God's view of things, those who come up with that sort of thought. They fashion a God and a gospel after their own fond notions, and then they dream that they have reached the sum of wisdom. They refuse to go to the Word, to the Scriptures, to, as it were, uh, learn, to be encouraged by it. And Paul is calling us to show ourselves approved, even this, as he writes to Timothy. So fleshly weapons cannot successfully assault the formidable strongholds in which sinners have entrenched themselves. Such impotent weapons cannot bring about the destruction of their fortresses, which Paul defines specifically as speculations. The fortress in view here are not demons, but ideologies. He says we bring down these ideologies under the power and knowledge of Christ itself. Think about the church back in the past, and I don't want to lean into that too much, but even theology before has done a lot of damage where they misread the text, the ideology of the scriptures to formulate something that brought harm to many people. And this happens many a times. Paul further defines sinner strongholds of ideas as lofty things. In 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Lord knows the useless reasonings of the worldly wise. All the anti-biblical ideologies, false religions, and pseudo-gospels formed by Satan. Paul knew those fortresses well, having lived his entire life. Take note, Paul, before he came to Jesus, was a murderer. He was a Jewish jihadist. He was going to martyr those people of the way. Now he's met by Christ himself. So he comes with a tenderness, knowing where he was at too. He was a zealous follower of the Judaism of the day which had turned from Old Testament roots and become a ritualistic system of works righteousness. His fortress came crashing down on the Damascus road. Secondly, we see we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. The objective of our warfare is to change how people think. Romans 12, verse 2. You've been conformed to this way of life, now be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That's when we come in. That's where repentance starts, transforming of the mind. So Paul is aiming to bring that to bear upon them. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. There's a wonderful book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. If you ever want to read something like that, it's a classic. So we continue to say that our weapons that we take, which are offensive in the arsenal of the believer, of the influencer, is the sword of the Spirit, which you bring against us. And then thirdly, Paul writes, he says, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Take note, he didn't say, we capture their thoughts and now they must follow us, our way of thinking and what we're about. He says, no, we capture their thoughts and we bring them now in subjection to Christ Jesus as we are subjected to Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.10 says, mighty purpose, says Paul, is to know him. Now when the Lord captivates the thoughts of our mind, he leads them away, conducting them to another region altogether. He guides the offspring of the mind into the spiritual realm, where they delight in the Lord and bow themselves before him. Let us see this procession of captives led away to the grace, 
the triumph of the conqueror and to settle down in another region under the king of glory himself. This is Paul's testimony and the testimony of many of us here today. We have been, we're led away from darkness into his marvelous light. We're brought from that into this. And Paul says, this is what the gospel does. We are not conformed to the old nature, but transformed. How do we apply this to our leadership? Paul's aim is not to destroy those who oppose him. He's not coming to, uh, he's coming to destroy the arguments, but he's not dehumanizing them. We live in a culture that dehumanizes people and destroys them along with their belief and conviction. Not so with Paul. He doesn't even name the names of his critics. Paul's goal is that the church be obedient to Christ and not to his personal disciplines and discipleship program. He wants something for them rather than from them. Leadership should always aim to grow mature disciples who are empowered to apply the gospel in their own context rather than foster dependence on the leader. And then finally, we influence our sphere with the authority given to us by the Lord to build up rather than to break down. Now may we have experienced the weightedness even of many who have brought us down by their, form of their style of leadership. But Christ is calling us to a new leadership. There are many styles of leadership. There is the manipulator style. And I'm not going to even go in there. All I'm saying is that is not what we're looking at. We want to look at the original like the Canadian Mounties and say this is what we emulate. And then we're going to follow in that. So the purpose of Paul's authority, and he writes, he says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. This is part of the Great Commission, going to all the world and make disciples, baptizing men and women in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been given a command. We walk with authority to do just that. We don't, we don't, we don't hold back. I know this is part of a, it's probably a difficult talk. How do we deal with all this stuff? Now take note, Paul is not dealing with stuff that he's struggling with mentally. He's dealing with those that are out there, in opposition to him. So we don't go and we first we wrestle with our own thoughts. Oh, I'm thinking that. That's secondary. I think the primary reason for this is those who are opposing him. So we want to influence them with the gospel. So his goal in writing this epistle was also to correct false teachers. He was not to, uh, to be ashamed. Paul was not ashamed of his authority. He said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel in the uh, book of Romans chapter uh, 12. He says, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because the power of God unto salvation, bringing others back to God. Remember chapter 5, where he says, we've been entrusted with this message of reconciliation and encouragement. He says, now we want to bring people back to God. Don't, not, not to church first, not to our little Bible study or life group, it's back to God. And then we meet together to celebrate what God has done. God's system of authority is where we're calling people to. Here at Seabag, I can boldly say, we build on the apostles' teaching. I want to quote Peter's declaration when Jesus said to him, Peter, are you also going to follow those guys? And Peter said, no, Lord. To whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the one. And Jesus said to him, Peter, on that confession of your faith, I'm going to build my church. You read John chapter 6 and 7, Jesus didn't modify his message. 
It says, and many disciples no longer followed him. They wandered off. Jesus said, okay, sorry guys, come back. Let's just modify this. Uh, maybe I was a bit too, no, no. He said to Peter, are you going to join them? Peter said, no, you have the words. Yeah. We're coming to the one who is the word, but he also had the words of life for us. Romans 1 verse 5 says, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles, as leaders, as influencers to go and tell everyone what God has done. So they, they will believe and obey and bring glory to his name. Paul exercised authority with two clear complementary goals in mind. He sought to please Christ, his Lord, and he sought to love the church of Jesus Christ. Do you love Christ? Quiet in here. Do you love Jesus? Does Jesus know you love him? Is that husband and wife relationship story? Love, you haven't said that in a long time. Yeah, but I'm doing this and this and this. But say it. All this by being gentle and lowly like the Savior and being influential servant-hearted leaders in the church is what Paul is about. And the success of kingdom influences is to ultimately see the words of Habakkuk fulfilled. Habakkuk 2 verse 14, and I conclude with this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what we want to do. So the reason we're going to these, so that they all be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and that now brings them in submission to Jesus. And guess what? Now the gospel is moved and propelled in much further and faster. My question to you is, are you ready to step out and be an influencer for Christ? With this attitude, with this action, with this divine arsenal, and with this biblical authority. Amen. Lord, we thank you that we come to you totally dependent. We ask you again to put on us again the helmet of salvation, your very self. You clothe us with that today. Give us again the boldness to step out with the sword of your spirit, your word of truth. Help us to be diligent in studying your word so that we be men and women, boys and girls, young men, young women, that are not ashamed of dividing, taking this word of truth that is sharper than any two-edged sword and breaking asunder anything that is not of you, breaking into darkness, drawing asunder all that is not of the mind of Christ and bringing them into subjection to Christ. As influencers, we want to impact this nation, this city of us, our neighborhoods, and Lord, we want to go as far as we can. Will you call us to be an influencer for you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.